church, great to be here with you this morning. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor at High Point. Uh, it's great to have you here wherever you are watching from. We're going to get into the message here in just a second, but before we do, I want to encourage you to do two things. Number one, you can take a step of faith today and literally just... Uh, begin to get engaged with the with the church, with the people of God. Uh, if you're watching for the first time, if you don't have a church, or maybe this whole church thing is brand new for you, take a step of faith today. Part of growing is getting connected. Uh, you can text HPINFO to 97000, and there you'll see where you can fill out a digital communication card. We'd love to help you take your next steps and get growing in your relationship with God. The second thing that you can also take care of and, and be part of by texting HPINFO to 97000 is, is giving today. I want to encourage you to continue worshiping uh, through your generosity and through your giving. Uh, let God know how thankful you are by, by how you give. Uh, by giving back to him and to his church. And, and it, what your giving does is it accomplishes uh, so much in helping families in need in our community right now. So let's give. Let that be a, a part of your worship today. Amen? Amen. We're in a series right now called, I Need a Miracle. And so let's start off with the question at hand. I mean, do you need a miracle? Do you? Do you need God to move in some powerful, supernatural way? Some of you, right out of the gate, you identify with that question because you are desperate for God to do something, right? You need a healing. You need a, a job breakthrough. You need a family breakthrough. Maybe there's, maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart, and, and you can only accomplish you know, the, the healing that you need if God will just, would just perform a miracle in your heart and do what you cannot do. For yourself. So you get it. But then there's another body of people. By body of people, group of people, this is really, in many ways, everyone. We can all drift into this, where you hear the words miracle, you hear the, the question, do you need a miracle? And you know the right answer. You know to, you know to say yes you know to believe that God is a miracle working God, but yet when really pressed for what you're praying for, what are you believing for? What do you need God to do? You don't really have much of an answer. It's just, you know, I'm good. You know, life's good. God's great. I love the Bible, right? We love church. And yet, if, you, if you're reading the Bible and you really read this thing and you believe what it says, and you, you really are, are, are declaring these worship songs that talk about the greatness of God. Isn't it odd that we can, we can believe in a God that is miraculous, a God that literally on just about every page of this Bible, we see the, the amazing move of God happening, a God that defies time, energy, space, gravity. He is not limited by any of the things that we are limited by. He moves time and time and time again. And yet when we're asked, what do we need God to do? Our response is simply, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. How is this possible? How can we believe and profess a God that moves like that and yet not be desperate for him to transform everything? Our, our, our response should should always be yes, but this, God, this is where I'm using my faith right now. I, I need you here, there, 
this place, that place. There should always be something where God is drawing our faith to be used. Imagine it like this. Uh, imagine you've got a favorite restaurant. Everybody loves, everybody has a place, right? You think of your favorite restaurant and, you know, you go there, you sit in the restaurant, you look at the menu, you chat it up with the servers and you know the staff and you've got the regulars that are sitting at the table, you know, to the left or to the right. You know these people, you wave, you say hi, you love it. This is, these are, this is your restaurant, it's your hangout, it's your place. And yet when pressed to, you know, what's your favorite dish that's served here at the restaurant? You say, well, I don't actually eat here. Oh, I don't, I don't partake of the food that's served here. But I, I love the restaurant. Oh, I've given it a five-star review, in fact. I love the people here. I love what's on the menu here. I love everything about the restaurant, but I don't actually partake in the main thing that the restaurant is offering. That's what it's like when we, when we profess to love God and yet aren't engaged in any way using our faith for this God to move. He is a God that moves miraculously day in and day out. Don't be the, the person who, who is really great at giving the five-star review of God yet actually isn't doing anything with what God's given you. This is what the scriptures say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going I'm to summarize this a little bit. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, mark this, pay attention to this. There will be terrible times in the last days, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Skipping on down to verse 5, there will have, there'll be a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's tough, to, that's tough to reconcile, isn't it? And yet we do it all the time. We love to have a form of godliness that feels really spiritual, and yet many times we don't walk in the power afforded to us. We don't practice it. We don't believe for it. We don't pray for it. In many ways, it's having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Today, I want to address this issue right now. And I believe by the end of this message, my hope is that you will have some of the tools to begin to move in your heart and in your soul, a deeper relationship with God. Not that you turn God into a vending machine to get what you want and you know, crank the lever and a miracle comes out. Not anything like that. But understand that there are principles and there is truth in the scriptures and how God moves in the hearts of his people. And if we're going to experience the miraculous power of God, you know where we've got to begin? You've got to want it. You've got to desire this God to move this way. So what do we do about it? I'm so glad you asked. So glad you asked. Turn to Matthew chapter 17 today. We're going to be talking about my main man, Peter. One of the apostles, one of the, the, the men that Jesus calls from a life of fishing to follow him. Matthew 17, verse 24. This is going to be a little bit of an unusual passage given what we're talking about today. Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the, ta of the two drachma temple tax 
came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? Simon was another name for Peter. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? Well, from others, Peter answered. Then the children are ex exempt, Jesus said to him, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you, fish, <laughs> take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus and his disciples, they've arrived in Capernaum. They've, they're going to offer prayer at the temple. And when they get to the temple, there's a tax that you are to pay uh, that is part of just the religious tradition at the time. Uh, you pay uh, this tax upon entry to the temple. And some of the tax collectors don't seem, they don't see Jesus or his disciples as having paid this tax. And so they're genuinely curious, like, what's the deal here? Why, why doesn't your teacher pay this? And Peter's like, oh, well, he does. Jesus isn't trying to cause unnecessary offense here, right? He even says that right here. So that we may not cause offense, go and do this. So he sends Peter to the lake to go fishing and to pull out a fish, open its mouth, pull out some coins, and pay the temple tax. Now, in case you're wondering, this is a miracle, Okay, I've gone fishing. I don't pretend to be the world's greatest fisherman. I don't go every weekend. I'm not the guy who goes out on the boat. All right, my, my wife is literally watching off camera right now and she's shaking her head at me because she knows this, this isn't what I do, but I grew up fishing with my dad a fair amount. You know what I never caught? A fish with coins in its mouth, okay? If you're scrolling on Instagram or Facebook, everybody's probably got that friend that fishes all the time. Right. And they're always, you know, they're showing off the big catch. I've never seen anybody be like, whoa, you won't believe what was inside my fish today. Dollar bills, y'all. You know, no, this isn't what you experience when you go fishing. This is a miracle. But understand something here. Jesus is in the temple. He could have literally put his hands in his robe and pulled out some coins. He, he didn't have to do it this way. And in fact, this miracle isn't for the benefit of anybody who was inside the temple. Nobody saw what happened. Nobody experienced this except one person. And that person is Peter. And this gets to the heart of what we are after today. There's a lot of things in this subtext when you read the Bible. Things that you don't necessarily know when you're reading it, the, the things between the lines. What is P Peter is infamous in the Bible for being a knucklehead. Okay, this guy is prideful. This guy, he, he has all the answers to everything. Meanwhile, Jesus, the son of God, right? The greatest teacher and miracle worker. Time and time again, Peter steps in and is like, Jesus, no, 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 no. I've got a better way, a better solution. You're not going to do that. You're going to do what I, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting here. Time and time again, Peter, uh, he, he demonstrates a level of self-sufficiency and pride and independence that is literally mind-blowing. And yet we do the same thing all 
the time. And so here we have Jesus in the temple with Peter. They're questioning him on this temple tax. And Jesus performs a miracle in this moment. And the only person to benefit from the miraculous power of God being displayed is no one in the temple, but it's simply the spectator and the guy that's participating in it. And his name is Peter. He's the one who benefits from this. When you have to ask yourself, why? What is Jesus doing in this moment? Well, think about Peter. Peter's vocation is what? He's a fisherman. There's nobody who knows the routine of fishing better than Peter. Nobody. This guy had been out on the lakes with his, with his guys, with his friends. He'd probably been out for fun. He'd been, I mean, he's doing it with family members. He's, he has caught thousands upon thousands of fish in his vocational career as a fisherman which would lead you to believe, right, that there's probably a measure of expertise in this moment. There's a measure of, I got this, God. I I can handle this. And yet Jesus is telling Peter, I want you to go and I want you to throw your line out. And when you catch that fish, open its mouth, there's going to be some coins inside. If you've caught thousands upon thousands of fish, And then someone is telling you and giving you advice on how to fish, where to fish, and the way to fish, and the way you're going to open the mouth, and you're going to see some money in there. There's a real tendency for you to be like, okay. Like, uh, uh, okay, Uh, Jesus, thanks. Thanks for the advice. Uh, I got this. Okay, I got it. I kind of know my way around the lake. Okay? Back up, right? It, hear me. We're, I can joke about it. You all know what it's like when somebody who has less experience tries to give you a little education on something that you feel like you are so good at, right? I have learned my lesson. I don't cook at all, okay? I mean, I, I, I'm not great. I'm not great in the kitchen. Confession, okay? <laughs> I'm bearing my wounds before you. All right, but you know what I have also learned is that if I have thoughts about a meal, it is not a good idea to give advice or any kind of anything at all ever regarding food that's made that I didn't prepare, okay? Does anybody here, you know, is that true? Uh, Yes. You might hear some voices in the background. There's some nodding. There's some deep ministry happening right now, okay? Um, I've learned that. I learned that the hard way, right? Because no one likes to, no one likes to receive advice, feedback, critiquing of any kind, especially when it's something that they are good at. And when you are not good at cooking, to then give advice to somebody who is great at cooking is a bit insulting right? Now, Peter is the expert fisherman here. He has a history of being self-sufficient. He has a history of being independent. He has a history of being prideful. And Jesus takes the chief fisherman, gives him advice on how he should go out, get that coin, and pay for the temple tax. And I'm telling you right now, it had to have been every ounce of pride in Peter's body to say, 
<sighs> okay, I'm gonna do this. I think you're crazy, but you know what? I'm going to humble myself because I desire more of you and more of your power at work in my life. Far be it from me to trust my own way, to trust my own judgment, and to chart my own path for myself. Jesus, I'll do what you have to say. His answer was yes. And consequently, what we see is that very thing. Jesus, or Peter goes, he fishes, he catches the fish, he opens his mouth, and he's got literally coins for the temple tax. Amazing miracle, yet one we don't talk about very much. And so what I'm getting at here is, is this myth that oftentimes plagues us. It's this myth of spiritual maturity. It's this myth of self-sufficiency and independence that has a way of creeping up into our lives. In many ways, we begin to walk like the, the old Peter, the Peter who's prideful, not the Peter who, who is willing to submit and humble himself before his one true king. You see, in every single area of life, we pride ourselves on independence. We pride ourselves on maturity, that, that you no longer need someone else to do this for you or help you in this way. Parents literally invest time and energy and sweat and money into their children that their children might need them less, right? If you're, if you're a homeschooling right now, you hope that as you're giving your kids lessons and teaching them different things that they begin to understand these principles and they begin to need your, your uh, educational, what am I saying? They need you less and less in these moments as your kids graduate and as your kids grow and they begin to get jobs and pay bills and pay rent, the hope is that they become independent and are able to take care of themselves. They feel the weight of paying for things. <laughs> and some of you are thinking to yourself, I wish that would happen, right? Independence is a good thing, except in the one area where it's not a good thing. See, spiritual maturity is not about needing God less. Spiritual maturity is about needing God more. And many times as we grow in maturity, we find ourselves kind of, you know, almost stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I've got this. I'm pretty good in this area now. I'm good. Thanks, but no thanks. Where do you need the miraculous power of God to work in your life? Well, I don't really need it here. I don't really need it here, 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 or here because, you know, I've really grown self-sufficient in all of these areas. I'm good. You know what? When a need arises in this one little bucket, in this one little spot over here, well, then I'll ask God for some help. But all these other areas, you know, I'm kind of, I'm good. And we, we are betrayed in our own heart and souls. Many of us are longing and praying for financial breakthrough, literally, because the deep desire of our heart, more than anything else, is really to be in a place where you no longer have to trust God for your finances. Which is why 
pastorally, how many times have, have you know you pray for a breakthrough and you pray for a breakthrough and then someone finally gets it and then what happens? They walk away. They wander off, spiritually speaking, because they got what they needed and now their faith is no longer required. Maturity is not about needing God less. Maturity is about needing God more. I have great news for you that may not feel like great news as I say it, but God is not drawn uh, to your Bible knowledge. He isn't drawn to eloquent prayers. He's not even drawn to eloquent preaching. These are not the things that draws the heart of God. What God is drawn to is a heart that is broken and desperate for him to move. That's what draws God moving powerfully in our lives. The transformation from top to bottom. Yes, the transformation from the inside out of the the actual person, the spirit of a man. As God gives somebody a brand new nature. But even God moving in your situations and your circumstances. What is drawing the heart of God is a people that are desperate for him to move. If you don't care... If we're apathetic, if we're self-sufficient and independent, why would we then, out of our mouths, expect God to move? Why would we expect God to move if we're not hungry and asking and desperate for him? And if you're not hungry and desperate for him to move, your heart has probably slipped into a measure of self-sufficiency, of independence, and apathy towards the very power and presence of God at work in your life. So what do you do? You do what we see in the scriptures time and time again, what the very writers of the New Testament call us to. What we see David doing, God, examine my heart. I'm giving you access to my heart. If there's anything in here that is offensive to you, take it, change it, and make me new. This is our action step today and in the days to come, is to examine your heart. And if there is anything apathetic towards the God of heaven and earth, Repent of it, turn from it and give it to him. Literally out of your mouth, say, God, forgive me for carrying myself before you in this way. If there is independence of, uh, God, I got this. I got it under control. I'm good. And the way you know that is because you don't care. You're not asking God to move anywhere. If you're not asking God to move anywhere in your life, if you need him nowhere, it's because you think you've got it taken care of everywhere. This is called independence, and this is pride. We need God to move. I need God to move. We all do. So if you find yourself indifferent, where you begin today is by turning, examining your heart, giving it to God, and repenting in this moment. Repent literally just means to turn. So that's what we're going to do. Let's pray. And I want to ask you right where you are, whether you're laying in bed watching this, whether you're watching on your phone, on your TV, sitting on the couch, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is calling all of us into deeper relationship with him. And that means dealing with sin and pride in our heart.
The miracle starts right here. And we all need one. Father, right now, I thank you that your presence and power is real and there is nothing like you. There's no one like you. There's nothing like you. Nothing can change us like you change us. Nothing can change our situations like you can change our situations. God, in this moment, where we have grown indifferent to you, where we've grown calloused or cold to you, Father, we ask for forgiveness right here, right now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. God, for being self-sufficient. Lord, true maturity is not me needing you less, it's me needing you more. And out of my mouth, and out of the mouths of everyone watching, we declare that we need you. We repent of our pride and our sin today. And we're asking for your miraculous presence and power to be at work inside of us. We love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Sure, thankful for you this morning. And if you prayed with me in this moment, I believe literally in this moment that you're already beginning to experience a miraculous move of God, whether you see it or know it, God's miraculous power and his presence is at work. Thankful for you. Can't wait to see you next week.